Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court announced it will review three cases that could have a massive impact on the rights and lives of LGBT people in the workplace. Specifically, the court will decide whether the ban on employment discrimination because of sex under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 can be interpreted to apply to claims of discrimination because of sexual orientation and gender identity. With us to help us better understand what happened at SCOTUS today is Art Leonard, chief editor and writer of Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest LGBT legal developments here and abroad. Hi, Art. Hi. Thanks for joining us for this breaking news segment. I think, you know, everybody who listens to this knows that we've been keeping them up to date on every single one of these cert petitions as there's been no news, but they've just been kind of piling up besides right. the BMB case that they got rid of. Now we've got some breaking news. It happened today. It happened today. What and, happened today? And some people are mourning and some people are keeping their fingers crossed. But what, we're all anxious yes. across what, the board. What happened today is the court granted petitions in three cases. Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. Uh, Altitude Express versus Melissa Zarda, who is uh, co-executor of the estate of Don Zarda, who was the plaintiff below. In, the New, in, in New York. In New York. And RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes versus the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Uh, which is the most unusual of the three, but I'll talk about the other we'll two first. Okay, so let's break these down. What are the, let's well, do the, the... the first two that I mentioned, Bostock and Altitude Express, are sexual orientation discrimination cases. They were brought in federal district courts. The Title VII sex, sex discrimination claim based on sexual orientation was dismissed by the district judges in both cases. They were appealed. Uh, the Bostock case was in Georgia, so it was appealed to the 11th Circuit. Mm -hmm. The 11th Circuit continues to treat as binding a 1979 decision by the 5th Circuit, which was its predecessor before it was split, mm -hmm. uh, in a case called Bloom, in which the court, in just a sentence with no further explication or reasoning, said Title VII does not protect people from discrimination because of homosexuality. Now, this is 1979. That's the language they would use back then. Uh, and based on that, with no reasoning, no discussion whatsoever, just that one-liner, yep. courts in both the Fifth and the Eleventh Circuits have been repeatedly saying that uh, three-judge uh, district courts, uh, three-judge court of appeals panels have mm -hmm. been saying that is circuit precedent, nothing we can do about it, right. it's binding on us. And, and unlike the Second Circuit, they didn't go en banc right. to, cons like, they didn't right. take it The Eleventh Circuit, in fact, there was a dissent from the denial of en banc uh, by one of the judges in the three-judge panel mm -hmm. who said, look, this is a cert-worthy question. This is an en banc-worthy question. They this were is clearly a, right. <laughs> this is a question that is, uh, you know, buzzing around the circuits and everything, uh -huh. and there's a circuit split, and we should address it. Right. So uh, that's what the situation is in the Eleventh Circuit. So it was Mr. Bostock who was petitioning the Supreme Court for review. Okay. And the question he posed was whether Title VII covers sexual orientation discrimination claims. So that's the question on which review was granted. The other case is uh, Altitude Express versus Zarda. In that case, also the district judge uh, dismissed the case. Three-judge panel said, we are bound by circuit precedent, we affirm, but with a big hint in a concurring opinion that in an appropriate case, 
we might grant on-bank review. Mm-hmm. So an on-bank petition was filed, on-bank review was granted, the full circuit heard the case and reversed decades of circuit precedent mm-hmm. and said that discrimination because of sexual orientation is discrimination because of sex, because it is in part at least based on the sex of the plaintiff. Right. Uh, and in so doing, they followed the Seventh Circuit that had already so circuit, ruled. Which did it the year before, and they followed the EEOC, which did it in 2015, and they actually were responding to uh, outlier decisions by a few district judges within the circuit who were trying to figure out ways to wriggle around the existing circuit precedent. Uh, so in this case, it's Altitude Express, which filed the cert petition. The employer. Which, the employer, which seemed very puzzling because Altitude Express is defunct. It isn't even in business anymore. Okay. I mean, this is a lawsuit between the estate of the plaintiff and a business that doesn't exist. Right. Both of these cert petitions in these two cases were filed last May. They've been pending since May. So how unusual is that? That's very unusual. Uh, I, I can tell you because I've been looking at the orders coming out of the Supreme Court every Monday for mm-hmm. the past two or three months. Right. And they list uh, the, the uh, cert denials in numerical order from when they were filed based on their docket numbers. And there are very, very few uh, docket numbers starting with 17 left. Okay. I mean, virtually like a a little handful, you know, and they tend to be 17 with very high docket numbers and these are very low docket numbers. So, uh, I mean, these cases have been languishing longer and they kept getting listed. They were listed over and over and over again. Right. Uh, So one of the things we have to be asking is, where did the four votes come from to grant cert? Right. Just, the court grant cert of at least four justices wanted grant cert. Was it the liberal folks that wanted to hear this? I don't think the this? liberals wanted to hear this. I think the conservatives wanted to hear this, and I think that means they think they have a shot at winning Chief Justice Roberts to their side, assuming he's not already on their side. Uh, I mean, one, one thing I did today, as soon as this came out, uh, I went online onto Westlaw, and I looked to see if any of the judges uh, who have relatively recent lengthy Court of Appeals uh, service before being appointed to the Supreme Court, if any of them had written on this subject, mm. and none of them have. Yeah. It's interesting. Even though it's, been, it's come up in lots of circuits and everything, there's nothing by Alito. Uh, there's nothing by Roberts, actually. Uh, you know, there's nothing by Sotomayor or Kagan or Gorsuch mm. or Kavanaugh. Right. On, on this, so we don't know. But they certainly have written about statutory they, they, interpretation. They've written about other things, and the weight that you give to the words on the page well, versus the intent. There of was Congress. an opinion. There was an opinion by Gorsuch. I think we can all agree that we've definitely lost Gorsuch. We're not going to get Gorsuch no, he, on this. He dissented in Pavan versus Smith. Right. And Gorsuch, and I, I don't know about Kavanaugh. But we Kavanaugh do. has been a bit odd since he got on the court. He's written some moderate stuff. Uh, and there's Roberts, at least some sub-signaling that Kavanaugh is trying to fix his reputation. Well, I don't know about that, but you know, <laughs> well, because I'm, he came out openly right. partisan on that um, during his hearing. I right. mean, you know, this is revenge for the Clintons. I mean, that was yeah. partisan stuff. Yeah, but then what? What they say in their in their hearings almost never have anything to do with what they do on the bench. They they just lie through their teeth in the hearings. That's true. But <laughs> gee, we're we're getting close to the bone here. But but at, at any rate, uh, you know, Kavanaugh is an unknown quantity on this. Uh, he did not write on sexual orientation stuff while he was on the D.C. Circuit, uh, and Sotomayor didn't write about this kind of stuff when she was on the Second Circuit. 
I mean, we got some good stuff out of Ginsburg when she was on the D.C. Circuit, but like that was a quarter century ago or more. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's hard to tell. Uh, but the but the conservatives who believe in uh, statutory interpretation based on uh, what the meaning would have been or what the legislators might have intended back at the time they passed the statute, we're not going to get them very easily. But the but the ones who believe that what we're dealing with are the actual words on the page, yeah. right? Um, give us the spin for how that... The Scalia approach. The Scalia the approach. Uncali and, decision. you know, look, Gorsuch... Uh, is a, Scal- is a, is a Scalia, Scalia fan, s- but fan, but I don't know uh, that he's sitting in that. Well, seat. Yeah, he's a Scalia fan, but remember, he is the one in his concurring opinion in Masterpiece Cake Shock who called for reconsideration of Employment Division versus Smith, which was a Scalia opinion. Okay. So who knows? All right. So there's those two. Then there's the gender identity case. This okay. is this is uh, the case that I think is really sort of more interesting. Because the Supreme Court reframed the question for the parties. Okay. Uh, the uh, in this case, uh, the Harris Funeral Homes uh, proprietor uh, Thomas Rost is a devout Christian who does not believe in gender identity and transition, and, all. and uh, so he's approached by one of his funeral directors who says, "I'm transitioning over vacation." And Rost, after thinking it over for a few days, said, "No, you won't. You're fired." All right, so uh, Amy Stevens files with the EEOC. EEOC finds reasonable cause. They try to conciliate and don't get anywhere. So the EEOC files suit on behalf of Amy Stevens and is Mm -hmm. the plaintiff in the case. This is back in 2014 uh, when this was taking place. And that was actually 2013. That was around the time when the EEOC actually decided that gender identity discrimination is covered by Title VII. So this is one of their first cases after they made that decision to go into district court. Uh, And the uh, trial judge said, I'm bound by circuit precedent. This is within the Sixth Circuit. I'm bound by circuit precedent to dismiss your gender identity discrimination charge, but I will allow you to continue to litigate under Title VII on a sex stereotyping theory because we've got case law in the Sixth Circuit on that. All right, so then the employer comes in with a defense under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. He says, this violates my free exercise of religion. So the district judge eventually rules that although there is a Title VII violation here under Sixth Circuit precedent, the employer is shielded from liability under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and the case gets appealed to the Sixth Circuit, where a three-judge panel affirmed on the Title VII ruling and reversed on the RIFRA ruling. The court said, we don't see any significant burden on this guy's free exercise of religion by requiring him to employ a funeral director who see, he sees as a man dressed as a woman. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, but the court does something more. It goes beyond its circuit precedent of gender stereotyping, and it says, we agree with the EEOC that gender identity discrimination is sex discrimination, that it's taking account of the sex of the plaintiff, which you're not supposed to do unless sex is a bona fide occupational qualification. And they just laughed at Mr. Ross's explanation as to why it's a bona fide occupational qualification not to have a transgender funeral director. Yeah. Uh, so it was the uh, funeral home represented by Alliance Defending Freedom, our old friends from Scottsdale, Arizona, that filed a cert petition. Uh, and here comes the interesting sort of inside baseball stuff that was playing out over the summer because the EEOC, the EEOC and the Justice Department do not agree 
on how to interpret Title VII. The new, the Trump Justice the Trump Department. Department. <laughs> the Trump Justice Department. Jeff Sessions put out a memo in October 2017 saying, as far as we're concerned, sexual orientation and gender identity aren't covered under any federal sex discrimination statutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who's going to represent the government in this case? Because the government, through the EEOC, was the plaintiff below uh, and the appellant. Uh, so the Solicitor General is also in a weird situation because uh, Obama administration holdovers were a majority of the commissioners until the end of 2018, mm-hmm. partly because Trump couldn't get any of his appointees confirmed by the Senate. Yeah. He nominated a slate of three people last year, and they didn't even come to a vote in the Senate because one of them was High Feldblum. Uh, who's a Democrat. Uh, he was required to re- to nominate at least one Democrat because the rules of the statute say for the five-member commission no more than three may, may be members of the same party. Right. All right, so the whole group got shot down because Feldblum was part of the package and the White House wouldn't back down on her. Okay, she has withdrawn, and they're coming up with a new slate, but at the present time, the EEOC is down to two members, which means the EEOC, the commission itself, cannot make any decisions. They don't have a quorum. So it's all in the hands of the Solicitor General, who, of course, is taking his orders from the Attorney General, who used to be Jeff Sessions. I mean, at the time they were filing papers in this case, it was Jeff Sessions. Uh, so that what they said to the court was, uh, hold on to this case and decide the sexual orientation cases first, because how you decide those will affect how you decide this, most likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the court didn't uh, take their advice and instead granted cert. Also, Amy Stevens, since she uh, intervened as a co-plaintiff below, mm-hmm. is a co-respondent here, and she's represented by the ACLU, which means that when the case goes to the court for argument, there will be a high-powered attorney from the ACLU Good. arguing to uphold the Sixth Circuit's decision raises the issue for me, is this an occasion for the court to cut back on Price Waterhouse? Because Price Waterhouse has been given an extraordinarily broad interpretation by many lower federal courts. Some academic scholars and commentators have said the courts have gone far beyond what the Supreme Court thought it was doing in Price Waterhouse. But the Supreme Court has never disavowed it and has denied lots of cert petitions challenging it, including the Sixth Circuit uh, transgender sex stereotyping cases. Uh, the first one wasn't appealed, but then there was a second one. The first one was Smith versus City of Salem, then the next one was Barnes. Smith involved a firefighter, Barnes involved a, involved a police officer, both of whom were transitioning and got fired. The Barnes case, there was a cert petition, and they denied it. So they haven't been interested in, in coming back, but now it seems they might be interested in looking at Price Waterhouse and telling us what it means. And I'm That's not, dangerous. I'm not sure we want the Supreme Court as currently constituted to tell us what Price Waterhouse means. So interesting situation. It will be also interesting to see who's going to argue these cases because in the uh, sexual orientation cases, uh, we've got a bunch of attorneys who are not Supreme Court litigators. Uh, I think uh, obviously the Alliance Defending Freedom is going to send one of their big guns up because they have argued a lot of cases in the Supreme Court. So they've got uh, got the talent on tap. The Solicitor General's office will be uh, represented uh, and the ACLU will be represented. So it's it's not a big puzzle, although we don't know who the ACLU will send, but it's not a big puzzle as to who's arguing. But who's arguing the sexual orientation cases? Uh, 
And the court consolidated them and said a total of one hour is allocated for oral argument, which means half an hour. Well, it's odd because one of them, the petitioner, is seeking a reversal. Well, they're both seeking reversals, but the cases that go in the opposite directions. Yeah. So, like, who's going to argue what for how long? And an hour doesn't seem like enough to me. <laughs> well, we'll get <laughs> we'll get more on that in a bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll I, be finding out. We'll I mean, out. the thing that I'm really interested in here is this: what's at stake? I mean, what's how ma- how massive well, a decision that's good for us yeah. is transformative. Right. A decision that's good for us would render the need for the Equality Act null and void, practically, because because what courts do, what federal courts do in cases involving sex discrimination under any federal statute is they follow Title VII case law. The Title IX courts do it, the Fair Housing Act courts so do it. So this would be Title credit. IX, so everything So this would be would across the board, which is what the Equal the Equality Act is about. It's, it's about putting sexual orientation and gender identity across the board into all the federal statutes. I mean, it had one more repair to make in the Civil Rights Act of 64, which was to add sex to the prohibited grounds of discrimination outside of Title VII, because Title VII is the only title that lists sex. And that was uh, because of the, the way sex was added to the act as a last-minute amendment to Title VII before yeah. it was voted on. Uh, so uh, that's a, so that's know, a win, and like well, we said... That would be a humongous win, but... Particularly since a lot of states don't yeah, have protections. Right. But looking at the other way, looking at the other side, so far we have uh, quite a few... Uh, decisions from courts of appeals using the sex stereotyping theory to protect transgender people under various sex discrimination laws. We've got cases under the Violence Against Women Act. We've got cases under the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. We've got cases under the Fair Housing Act, not just Title VII. So if we lose that gender stereotyping theory for transgender people, we're back to square one for transgender people. Uh, In terms of Title VII, we've got two circuits with a grand total of six states. And I think... No, it's six states. Uh, you know, we've, we've got the Second Circuit and the Seventh Circuit on sexual orientation. We don't have any other circuit on sexual orientation. So it would be a loss. It would definitely be a loss. Although, actually, in uh, the states in the Second Circuit, we already have coverage under state law. Uh, so it's not like people in uh, New York and, and Connecticut and, uh, and Vermont can't bring a sexual orientation discrimination claim if they uh, have trouble. We just got to persuade them to stay out of federal court if we lose this case. Uh, but it's, it's more of a problem out in the, uh, in the Seventh Circuit, where we don't have all the states, where we don't have Indiana. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, it seems to me that it will, be, it will be so wonderful to get Title VII protection throughout the country. Yeah. It would solve the problem that we've, you know, we've got the low-hanging fruit. We've got the states where we could get sexual orientation. There are a few others where it's possible. We may, we may pick up Pennsylvania, for example. Mm-hmm. Maybe long-shot Virginia. Uh, a few other states, perhaps. But there are large portions of the country where we have no state-level protection. The southeast is, like, total loss. Much of the Rocky Mountain states, total loss. Uh, and nothing on the horizon. Nothing, I mean, the, nothing major on the horizon in those parts of the country. Right. Uh, so it's it's really important for people in those areas that we win this case. Uh, losing this case, uh, then we've got to try to see, depending how they leave the situation with uh, stereotyping, whether we can figure out ways to use that theory, which persuaded a few lower courts, but we'll see. 
so what this about is a timing? Big, what about uh, timing? timing. Uh, well, they've been granting cert petitions for cases to be heard next term since mid-January. Okay. So these aren't going to be argued in the first few months. I, I think this is likely to be argued during the winter. Uh, and that means that an opinion probably comes out late in the spring. June, yeah. Which means it'll be right in the middle of the presidential election and the primaries and the period between the primaries and the conventions. And so this is going to insert sexual orientation discrimination as an issue. And the Supreme Court is an issue in the 2020 presidential campaign, potentially in a big way. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they denied certain these cases, you know, they'd be a little kerfluffle about it for a while and it would die And we continue to litigate and win in a couple right. of circuits. Right. And there's uh, some... But uh, in terms of... Uh, of a, of a pro-LGBT decision in one or both of these cases, and I think as one goes, the other will probably go, uh, then it's going to be a big issue in the campaign. Can you talk a little bit about um, Chief Justice Roberts and the comment that a lot of people are focusing on, which came up during the marriage equality litigation, where he seemed to suggest quite plainly, do we need to really go and get into sexual orientation? Isn't this discrimination based on, based sex. on sex? Well, he, he posed a hypothetical, which is a standard hypothetical that you find in a lot of law review articles. But he did make the kind of point that, you know, our team is going to argue. If Tom yeah. marries yeah. Jane, it's fine. If Tom marries Tom, that's discrimination yeah. based on sex, isn't it? Well, yeah, but then look at his dissent in Obergefell. He said, this case isn't about the Constitution. People can celebrate. And, oh, know, it was ruthless. Not. Yeah, so I, I don't look for a But lot they of also didn't it. decide it based on sex grounds. Yes, what I'm hopeful, what I'm hopeful is that he has, uh, since Kavanaugh joined the court particularly, he has become very conscious of being the swing voter. And he has, <laughs> in a few cases now, sided with the Democrats on some important cert decisions on even a few merits decisions. Uh, he's joined opinions that you wouldn't expect him to join, and some of that may be uh, strategic so that he can, can assign an opinion where he's part of a six-member majority. Right. Uh, but uh, I think people are holding out hope that he is going to grow a bit on the bench and moderate his views uh, somewhat, and who knows. He, unlike... And there's a conservative way to do right. this. Well, unlike some of the other... Uh, Republican appointees on this court, he is not wedded to originalism, either as a matter of constitutional interpretation or as a matter of statutory interpretation. He's not a Gorsuch. He, he's not an Alito or a Thomas. And perhaps more like Kavanaugh, who is less predictable. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, some people are in mourning today. I'm saying, keep your fingers crossed and let's do the best job we can. Let's let's like brief the hell out of this issue. Yeah. Let's get great at it. Oh, there's no question we've got the time, we've got or we've got the talent on our yeah, side. We've got, we've got the arguments yeah. on our side. The question is do we really think that we're gonna get a fair shot at the Supreme Court that we have as currently constituted? And it's hard to tell. Uh, I mean the court can be very political. I would look to see how they're going to decide the census case and the gerrymandering case and some of the other big cases. Mm -hmm. if, if they're all solidly ultra-right-wing conservative decisions, then I don't have a, a lot of hope. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this sure. episode to update folks. Um, we will be back with more information surely in our next um, podcast for Law Notes where we can talk a little bit about 
I mean, there won't be much of a development between now and then. <laughs> no. no. But if anything happens, if we know who's arguing the case, we'll let you know right. as soon as, as, as Art knows, you will know. So thank you so much for joining us today. Okay. I hope that helps everybody.